It is great to be here with you all this morning. You've probably noticed uh, Father Rick is missing. That is intentional. I kicked him out. No. He asked me to come this morning and help. I'm uh, Pete Berg. If you don't know me, I'm a priest over at Church of the Cross uh, in Hopkins. It's always so good to be here. And if you're a bit newer to Restoration, you've probably heard, but I get to be the, the you know, the the loving parent or grandparent or whatever. Um, Church of the Cross uh, sent Rick and Molly out and many others who are here at Restoration to plant this church. Um, So we are extended family and it's always so good uh, to get to be part of you all, with you, um, worshiping, enjoying, and and seeing again. And it's always so nice um, that there's um, so many faces that don't know me yet. Uh, it's, It's very lovely. So I'm glad to be here. Let's begin quick quickly um, with a drawing prompt. Um, this is something we've been doing at Cross with our kids, and it's been happening here. Um, so if you're, if you're uh, a child or youth or just an adult who wants to gauge a bit through drawing, um, I'll give you a couple things you can consider to, to draw in the message today. And I, there's even a bulletin board in the back that can, things, things can get posted. Um, first option for you today, it's pretty simple. Um, just draw one of your favorite scenes from the resurrection stories. Maybe it's one of the ones today, the one with Thomas is awfully great. Think about drawing a picture of, does he touch Jesus' side? Um, What is that like? Um, Maybe the first time when Jesus appears to disciples, they're pretty scared. Maybe that's kind of fun. There's a lot of great ones there. Or if you'd like a little bit more freedom to be creative, um, you can draw from this other prompt I have. Part of our message today is going to be thinking about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us, um, our own resurrection being part of that. So draw something that comes to mind when you think about being resurrected with Jesus and living on a renewed, restored earth. Maybe that's a huge feast um, with your family and with favorite Bible characters or other Christians from history or, or a picture of great joy where there's no sadness anymore. If you want to go a little more crazy, maybe a little more sci-fi, draw you and Jesus on a spaceship. I mean, you're going to be alive forever. Maybe that's not as crazy as it sounds. Uh, I will admit to you, Pastor Rick and I have already decided, we've agreed that come the next life, not this one, we have no time for it now, but next life, we will go to Mars together. We'll figure it out. We have forever. If we have to build our own ship, we'll build our own ship. Um, So you're welcome to try to join us on that that journey if you'd like. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for uh, resurrection, uh, Restoration Anglican. I ask that you um, continue to bless them. Um, thank you that I can be here with them today. Thank you for your great word and the truth of the resurrection. Um, uh, speak this deep into our hearts. Give us great hope. In your name, amen. So my great-great-grandpa, uh, John Berg, who was actually born John Peterson. He lived in Sweden until his mid to late 20s, uh, actually, one of the few stories we know about him is he started working there at some point at a factory. And, and the owner or the manager of the factory came to him and said, there are too many John Petersons around here. I can't keep you all straight. So my great-great-grandpa changed his name at that point to John Okerberg. Uh, we're not sure exactly what that meant or why he picked that, but that's what he went with. Ultimately, though, that factory and things, that wasn't for him. Um, like so many others during that time, um, John was thinking of something better, something new. He wanted a better place for his own, something he wanted to feel like he had more to offer his family and children someday. And his brother felt the same way, so they immigrated to America. Now, that was a time, of course, of huge change and sacrifice. They left behind the rest of their family, um, you know, their hometown, everything they knew, they knew, a lot of their safety nets, and they set out in hope of finding something better in the end. It was actually in that process, we think it was Ellis Island, uh, that John Okerberg made one more small change. Uh, he became John Berg there. 
It seems like no one could quite pronounce or spell that last name he had picked, so he just shortened it all the way down to Berg, uh, and that's what we remain today. Then he eventually found his way to Minnesota, and probably because it reminded him of home, he settled there to become a farmer. We always joke, it reminded him of home, he should have known better than to become a farmer in Minnesota. But he did. He bought a land, lot land, became a farmer, started his family. Uh, and actually, there was one more weird, unexpected bit of sacrifice in that. Uh, as John and his brother moved to different areas, they lost contact. And between um, distance and hard communication at the time and having different last names and things, they never actually connected again. They never could find each other. Um, we kind of lost that part of the family. Uh, that does mean I've always felt a little bit of um, appreciation for having never dated anyone with the last name Peterson. But... Now, that family story, um, of course, I love that story, but there's not nearly enough details. You know, it's interesting to know why am I a Berg, um, but there's so much hardness and sacrifice actually going on kind of behind the slight quick notes of the story that we have. But all of that leads to my family being here in Minnesota, me being here at all. I'm guessing many of you have similar stories in your families, how your families came to America, how they got to Minnesota, some long ago, some more recently. And we can think of those stories and we can think of the hope that these people were holding on to, that hope for something better, for something new, something exciting and good. But also we can think of the constant sacrifices that they made in order to pursue that hope. So much of the time, our biggest hopes are like this. They require our greatest sacrifices. But we can keep holding on in hope, hoping it will be worth it in the end. Well, today we are continuing to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It is Easter season, Easter tide, until Pentecost in late May. Um, so as we're doing that, we're going to be spending our time in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this is really the Apostle Paul's greatest teaching on the resurrection, what it means for us. I would argue the greatest probably in the New Testament, definitely the longest for the resurrection. Throughout this teaching, we're going to see Paul explaining and pointing us to our hope, the hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even as we are encouraged by that hope, as we find great joy in it, Paul's also quite honest here about the great sacrifice that does accompany the hope we have. So if you want to, you can turn with me in your bulletin to 1 Corinthians 15 now. The first thing we find in this chapter is actually uh, a pretty simple, straightforward reminder of the gospel that Paul proclaimed. It's given basic content in verses 3 through 8. Here we see that what Paul taught, what the Corinthians received was the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and then raised from the dead on the third day. And all of this was in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, that's actually a really important phrase there, in accordance with the Scriptures. We shouldn't skip by it. Now, Paul means by that, I think, two main things. First, Paul is well aware that there are specific passages throughout the Old Testament that point uniquely to Christ. A few of those are actually Holy Week staples. You've encountered them recently. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, other ones. But more than just, just those unique passages, I think Paul means here that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is of one accord with the Scriptures. All the stories we find in the law, the prophets, the history of Israel, all of them find their climax, their fulfillment in Jesus. So when Paul, or when we, look at anything from Genesis to the Psalms to Malachi, we can see it all pointing to and finding fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That really matters. Nothing that happened to Jesus is peripheral or extemporaneous. The whole of Jesus' life brings all of God's story to its final and rightful end. Easter is the climax of everything that has come before. And that is 
a big main reason that this simple gospel summary Paul has for us is of first importance, as Paul says. Christ did all of these things, and they answer the unanswered questions. This finally deals with lingering problems. It brings God's promises to fruition. But also, as Paul says um, that this is of first importance, it's interesting. Notice Paul adds some details here that don't feel strictly necessary. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and then raised on the third day. That is core. But Paul continues on and adds verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and he explains the people in order who saw Jesus living again after his death. Why does he do this? Is it totally necessary to the message that Jesus appeared first to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then to more than 500, and last Paul? Well, not exactly the order of it all, but this points to what is central. This really happened. They aren't making this up. Jesus, who really died at the hands of Roman soldiers, who was really dead and buried in the stone tomb, really and truly did come back to life. Over 500 people saw him alive. And Paul says to his readers, most of these are still alive. That means if you doubt me, go ask them yourselves. But Paul saw Jesus alive too, and he had not believed in Jesus at all. He'd persecuted his followers until Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road, and he had to follow him after that. So all of this is laying again the foundation of our faith. Christ died and Christ rose again. It really happened. And all of this is of first importance for us. This is the gospel message. Christ did die for our sins and then Christ rose from the dead. It's wonderfully simple. It's easy to grasp. We don't believe in convoluted or contradictory things. We can explain the gospel in a few simple words. Christ has died. Christ is risen Christ will come again. This is the foundation of our hope. This is how we are saved. But it's not enough to simply know that this happened. As Paul says right away, this gospel he proclaimed was received by the church. They stood firm in it. They held fast to it. We can't simply acknowledge Christ's death and resurrection. We must receive it. We must stand in it, find our security, our purpose in it, and we must hold fast it's not enough to say, hey, that sounds cool, and then go after our own path. Resurrection hope is for all those who have turned to Jesus and recognized him as the way, the truth, and the life. And then they've clung to him. Now, if you're here today or if you're participating online and you're not sure you have this hope yet, you're not sure you've surrendered to Jesus to receive this forgiveness and resurrection life, but you want to, now is the time. You can turn to Jesus even now. And if you're really not sure what you can say, you can just stick with us to the prayer of confession. It's on page nine, just a little bit further into the service. Or just turn there now. Pray that out to Christ and know for certain his death and resurrection is for you as well. And really for all of us as we come to that confession in a bit longer, um, let us remember again and again how great this gospel is. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and in him we have our only hope. Now, as we continue on in this passage, we find Paul expanding on what this gospel means for us. Christ did die and rise for us. Now, we need to understand more of what that actually means. And for the main thrust of the passage from here, including a lot of stuff we had to skip, Paul's focus is really on how this gospel is our hope and explaining out what it is we're actually hoping, waiting, longing for. First, 
um, kind of briefly, he actually begins this by showing what this hope is in, in sort of a negative way, kind of reverse. In verses 12 to 19, we're confronted with what's a great problem in the Corinthian church. Paul says here that some in this church are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. They seem to mean that for themselves, that they are not waiting for resurrection. A common thought about this is that perhaps these people are are seeing the resurrection as like a spiritual reality that's already come upon them. They would say they've already been raised. Or they just look to the future and see no physical reality, only a spiritual ahead. Uh, But either way, they are rejecting the idea that there is physical resurrection of the dead. And Paul strongly condemns this. He explains if we lose resurrection for ourselves, then we've actually already lost the real work of Christ and Christ's resurrection. So in this, again, we're seeing backwards some of our hope. If we don't have the resurrection, then Paul's preaching this gospel is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Even more, in verse 17, Paul says that would mean our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Simply put, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no hope. We have no forgiveness. We are not freed from death. We are lost. That's the thrust of verse 19. If our faith in Christ is only something we have in this life, if it doesn't impact what happens after we die, then we should be pitied because we truly have nothing. But the whole point is, Jesus is alive. He has been raised from the dead. There is resurrection. So we can be forgiven. We can be freed from our sins. We can be freed from ultimate death and live instead under the full, complete reign of God. Now, this is something that we know and live into even now, but it is also our hope. We still look forward to that time when we will be fully freed from even the presence of sin and death and evil, when we will live with Christ, when all has been subjected to him, and there is, again, no more death, no more evil, no more rebellion. Paul makes these points rather quickly here. He expects us to understand this. If Christ has not been raised, we have no faith, we are without hope. But Christ has been raised, so our faith in God is right. We have great hope. But he's not done with all of this yet. Now he wants us to understand more what this hope means for us. What does it mean, kind of more concretely, that we've been freed from sin and death? What are we waiting for? Well, we wait for resurrection. We wait to experience what Jesus already experienced ahead of us, physical and spiritual life again after death. But even that is hard to grasp in some ways. So Paul starts breaking it down for us a bit in verse 42. Here Paul is continuing this use of an analogy that involves planting or sowing seed. The seed you sow generally seems hardly connected with the big plant that grows out of it. So we can think about the resurrection. Our current body often does not seem like much, just like a small insignificant seed. But it will be grown and changed into something truly amazing. So Paul says our body is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. It is dishonorable. It will be raised glorious. Our body is weak, but it will be raised in power. Our bodies, our lives now, are touched by sin and death. We experience that throughout our lives and our weaknesses, how our bodies never quite work the way that we want them to. We experience that in the pains and the trials we know in our bodies, even just aging. And then finally, we all die. But after the resurrection, it won't work anything like this anymore. We will be freed from death, so our bodies will not break down or decay. They won't work toward that final end anymore. Nor will we be limited in the same way by physical weakness, our body not doing what it should. Instead, we will have power and glory forever. 
Paul even says here, we have now a natural body that will be raised a spiritual body. It sounds a little confusing. He simply means that the body we have now fits the world we are in now. The body we will have will fit that new world. It will be supernatural. It will be brought to life fully from the Spirit. Now, I know in some ways... This is still a bit hard to really hold on to. Maybe it's something we've heard again and again in our lives and it's kind of easy just to glaze past it. Or maybe Paul's just moving a bit too quick here for us. I wish he'd give us a few more chapters on the topic, but he doesn't. And these points can kind of slip away from us. But this is actually a central part of the hope that we have. I think it's important to try to hold on, to try to really consider what this means. Actually, a good discipline for all of us throughout Easter season would be to spend time thinking about what our hope for resurrection and life with Christ really means. How does that break down for us? Let's take just a few moments now to think a little bit more about what that actually means, that we will be raised with Christ, that we will live forever with our God, that death and sin will be no more. First thing that comes to mind, and this is great for our youngest here all the way up to our most experienced Have you ever had a really good day? Have you ever had that day where everything went right? Maybe it was a really fun day. Maybe you felt deeply loved. That day was filled with surprising joy. Was the day after that really good and the day after that? Or have we ever known that really good day and it was followed by a bad day? It's really kind of how it works around here in the world now. We'll never avoid those bad days. And sometimes they're just days when little things don't work right, things stack up. But then other times, well, other times they're not just days. They're months, they're years. And they can be wrong in ways we can barely express. Our hope in Jesus and in resurrected life with him, life without sin and death, means that someday you will never have another bad day. Someday when Jesus returns, you will only have good day after good day and they will be better than the best day you've ever had here. There will be no more tears, no more pain and hurting, no more uncontrolled goodbyes or hiding, only joy, peace, love, and life. And then one second thought. As we get older, as we get more and more responsibilities, I think we start to notice that we just never have time for everything anymore. I keep noticing this. There's an awful lot that I'd like to do that I have to push this side. If I want to be a good dad, good husband, friend, pastor, there's a lot I have to let go of to make sure I have time for the things that are most important. It's not just time for things that I want to do, though. It's time for those people, time for the people we love. We never have enough time with those we love. Well, part of our resurrection hope is that there will come a time when we will never run out of time again. We won't have to rush. We won't have to only put things off. If we didn't get to it one day, there will always be another day to get to it. We won't just have 80 or 90 years or less to do what we love or to be with those we love. We will have never-ending years upon years, time unending for everything that is good, helpful, and brings joy. I think our resurrection hope includes things like that. With an end end to sin, evil, death, life forever with God, I actually know it's going to be so much more than that. The hope that we have in Jesus because he died for our sins and rose, defeating death, really, that's too wonderful for us to fully imagine or explain, fully to hold on to. But we can try. And as we think and remember, I think it helps us to wait with a lot more joy for that time to come. But we're thinking a lot about that hope here. As I said earlier, though, this passage isn't about just hope. It also involves that sacrifice that comes with our hope. Now, right away, to be clear, this sacrifice is not something we make in order to obtain that hope. 
It's really not like all that my great-great-grandpa gave up in order to attain the life he wanted. In Christ, our hope comes as the free gift of grace. God saves us in spite of ourselves, not because of anything we do or sacrifice. So instead, this hope that we have enables us to serve and to sacrifice in ways that we would never be able to otherwise. We see this mainly in verses 29 to 34, kind of in the middle of your passage there. Paul is continuing to argue that, of course, Christ was raised from the dead. There is resurrection for, for his people. Otherwise, he's saying, why would we do these things? And he begins this list of, of things he would say, we would never do these things if the resurrection wasn't true. You, you may have noticed the first thing in this list is really the weirdest. Paul says people are being baptized for the dead. And that's about all we can say about that. We really aren't sure what this practice was, exactly what it meant. But apparently, it was totally pointless if the resurrection didn't actually happen. But our focus is much more on the next verses, though, where Paul begins talking about his own struggles. He says, if the dead are not raised, why are we in danger every hour? He's speaking of himself there, the hardships that he has faced. And he continues on and on. What gain is there for the suffering that I faced at Ephesus? He says he faced wild beasts. Not sure what that means. Sounds really bad. Um, Or he says, I die daily, meaning he is giving himself up his safety, his freedoms, his health, his rights for the sake of the gospel every day. Paul's point in all of this is that because there is resurrection, I can give and sacrifice all of these things. Paul can endure any hardship knowing there is resurrection to come. Resurrection hope is just that good. It outshines all the hardships he's faced, all the suffering he's known or will still know. Paul's hope in the resurrection gives him the strength and the purpose to sacrifice everything he can for the sake of the gospel of Christ in the church. When I turned 30, uh, I was talking with my, my grandpa Bud. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was commenting on being 30 and older and, and what that's meant in my life, you know, more experience. My grandpa Bud was nearing 90 at the time. He smiled and said something like, oh, I don't think 30 years is too long. Seems pretty short to me. I mean, I laughed with him on that. I was also kind of feeling, I mean, Grandpa, come on, I'm 30 years old. That's all I have. But I think Paul's ability to sacrifice in light of resurrection hope, it's a little like that. It's a little like my 30 years compared to my grandpa's 90. Paul can look at his life and say, how can all the sacrifice and suffering of my short life compare in any way with the goodness of resurrected life with Jesus forever? I can sacrifice anything now because I can only sacrifice for 60 or 70 years anyway. It's really not too long at all. seems pretty short. This isn't, of course, just a challenge for Paul. It is for all of us. Because of the hope that we have in the resurrection, we have more reason and ability than any to sacrifice greatly for others. We don't have to think only about what this means for the here and now because we are not people only of the here and now. We don't just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We serve and sacrifice for tomorrow we live forever. I know this is not easy. It really goes against ourselves, against the whole world around us. The world so often says, be concerned first with your rights, your happiness, your wants. But in light of Christ's sacrifice for us, the hope we have in him, We know that our rights, our happiness, our wants and needs and so much more are ultimately taken care of by Christ. Any sacrifice we make now is only temporary. 
That doesn't mean it might not feel like a long time, or it may even be a sacrifice that lasts our whole lives, but it does mean that we never give up anything truly good forever. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so we can die daily. We can sacrifice anything because our hope is of an eternity spent in the presence of Christ our God. Join me in prayer. Christ, we are so thankful for all you have given for us and for your great love and mercy towards us. We are thankful for our resurrection hope. I ask that you help make this always real and alive to us. Help us to look forward to that future with you with great joy. Um, And in that joy and in that hope, empower us to keep serving and sacrificing and giving in ways that we can't make sense of in any other way. Um, But we can hold on to because we know our time with you is coming. Um, And come, Lord, soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.